Well, good morning. I hope y'all are having as awesome of a morning as I am. That good morning was on no cups of coffee, so I hope you're ready because I am awake without it. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, my name is Matt Sprinkle. I am the student pastor here at Alice Drive Baptist Church. Uh, I get to hang out with you here on this Labor Day weekend. I'm excited because something I'm going to be talking about uh, this morning is actually something that God's been kind of working on me um, over the last couple months. And so when we found out that I would be preaching this Sunday, um, I didn't know what all was coming in Clay's Do You Believe series, but it's kind of awesome how God works, right? Because um, what I'm going to be talking about today kind of plays hand in hand with everything that we just learned. If you have not listened to that series, it's a great series for you to be able to understand um, if you're a Christian, hey, these are the things that we cling to as Christians. These are the things that we live by. This is how you participate in what it is that God's doing. And if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to it as well because it would help you to be able to understand what it means to follow Jesus so that you can see what truly fulfilling life is. So today, I'm going to be talking to you about a story, but it's not just any story, right? This is a, a parable. Um, and one thing about parables, Jesus was a master at parables. And basically it was just story alongside of truth. Like it was a way of being, help, being able to help someone understand truth. Now, sometimes when we read the New Testament and we come across a parable, it feels like it should be kind of self-explanatory. Like, oh yeah, I get that. But let's be honest. How many times do we read one of those and we're like, I'm not sure if I quite understood what it is that Jesus was saying there. And listen, that's why Jesus said that he even spoke in parables was because he, under, he knew that some people would understand, but there would be some people who wouldn't. So this parable that we're going to be pausing on today, I love it because you're going to see that Jesus is basically like Chuck Norris of truth. Like he pulls you into the story and then next thing you know, your roundhouse kicked in the face with awesome truthness. I'll hear about that word later. Um, but we're in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 9 through 17. We're going to start in verses 9 through 14. So will you, will you join with me as we read God's word? It says this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's two people in this story, right? Two things that we see right up front. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who would consider themselves righteous, right? And there's one side we have pride. The other side we have humility. And the interesting thing about these two people in this story, right? One of these people is a person that you should be able to look to as an example of godliness. 
They know all of the commands of God. They know what it means to follow God. So they should be a person that you can look to for godliness. And then on the other hand, you have this person who is despised and rejected by a bunch of people because I don't know many people who are like, yeah, here, take my money. He probably bribed his way into this position. And not only that, he's a Jew that gave up on all the other Jews to work alongside Rome. So even his own people hated him. These are the two people in the story, and the first one is the Pharisee. So I want you today, as we kind of work through this parable that Jesus shares with us, I want you to kind of picture yourself even walking up with these two men, right? Even, I don't care if you got to close your eyes, whatever you got to do. Picture yourself walking up to the temple alongside these two men, right? You walk into this temple, you find your place for you to be able to pray. An interesting fact about then, times then, they didn't pray like we do, heads, heads bowed, eyes closed, right? They were probably praying with their eyes open, right? Which is hard for some of us to to gather, but they were probably praying with their eyes open. So here you are, you're in this temple. You got these two guys in the temple with you and you hear the Pharisee go to pray. Look at what the Pharisee does. His prayer starts. He goes, God, I thank you. All right, pause. So he's starting off well, right? God, I thank you. He starts off well because God, I thank you is how you would start a psalm of praise based off of the Old Testament and this Jewish tradition. That's what they would do. They would start off with God, I thank you. And then how, how does he do from there? Well, let's go on. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Okay, you're in the temple. You're listening to this guy and you're like, because he said, just like this tax collector, probably making eye contact over the year, you're like, he just, he just called him out. And he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. So if your jaw hasn't dropped yet, just wait. He goes, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. All right, so Jews were only required to fast once a year. Two times a week is a bit excessive, wouldn't you agree? And then on top of that, he says, I, get a tenth, I give a tenth of all that I get. So I would even argue that this guy is giving even as much to the herbs in his garden. It's almost as if in this prayer, he's kind of saying, God, aren't you glad I'm on your team? See, so far, we're listening in and we're looking at this Pharisee and we're like, I cannot believe the words that just came out of his mouth. I would say that he did these things so much that he forgot why he did them. Kind of like today, serving every single Sunday, but he doesn't know why. He reads the scripture every morning, but now it's nothing more than just simply reading another book. I would say that this Pharisee is so focused on being holy that he loses sight of what it is that makes him whole. I love Pastor Clay. He does Bible study with us every Tuesday, all staff. We were actually talking about Pharisees and tax collectors this past Tuesday. And he made a comment. He goes, isn't it interesting that back then the Pharisees didn't even realize that they were Pharisees? 
They were so self-righteous that they found themselves in the comparison trap, constantly comparing themselves to every single person that's around them. And like we learned last week in Clay's sermon, the comparison trap kind of hinders us from being able to feel conviction. If I'm honest, there are a lot of people, even in my life, that I would, that I would look to for godliness. And it's even this past week, even this past week, um, people that I would like to look to for godliness time and again, time and again, have shown me their humanity. See, it's interesting how many times I've even read this parable, and I wanted to walk away with saying, thank you, God, that I am not like that Pharisee. See, some, some of you in the room, let's be honest, you were even already there. You were like, thank you, I'm not like that. Woo. Woo. I can check that off. It reminds me a lot of um, when me and my wife were first parents with our first child, Brantley, versus now, um, and, you know, going on five kids in October. October, no. Um, but when it was just us, right, when it was just me and my wife and Brantley, um, it was easy for us to look at the parents that were always scrambling. You know, they would show up to the place and their kids hop out the car. Their hair's not brushed. Where are their shoes? Mismatched clothes? Are you joking? Like, come on, do you not care about your child as much as we do? Okay, we were a bit judgy, right? We found ourselves saying, well, well, we won't be as bad as them. We'll, we'll get it. Guys, listen. Um, <laughs> we consider it all joy, brothers, when we make it to a, uh, through a car ride without pure chaos, right? We consider it all joy when they got their hair brushed. We consider it all joy when we threw the shoes in the car on the way to church, and they might be shoeless now. But we are all guilty of moments like this. Just think back even to an argument that you may have had, whether it has been with your spouse or your colleague or your friend or even students with the teacher. Or maybe, maybe it was the waiter that got your order wrong. Or maybe it's even when you read scripture in general. See, our self-righteousness, just like the Pharisee, likes to hinder us from really seeing where we need to own our own stuff. Because after all, who has time to pause and think, maybe I have a part in this, right? Arguments are always two-sided. It's really hard when you're getting in an argument with your spouse to be like, okay, let me own my mistakes in this. Um, I bet if we did that with our spouses, like from this point forward, like the first time, the jaw would drop like, he just admitted he's wrong. And listen, students, it's not always the teacher's fault. And every teacher said, amen. Maybe the waiter that got your order wrong, maybe they misheard you, or maybe you mumbled. I've been told that I like to do that. Or maybe the next time you read scripture, you need to ask, hey God, show me what it is I need to see and hear in spite of myself. And this is the first person in this story that I introduce you to, the Pharisee. Now, let me ask you this. Can you relate? 
I know there are times that I definitely can. I can't help but to compare myself to other people thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person over here. Or maybe it's even that I set a standard of godliness that still leaves me empty. Can you relate? That's the first character in this story that we see the Pharisee. Now let's walk back up to this temple with these two men. Let's meet the second character in this story. This is the tax collector. So here we are. We're in this temple. These two men are praying. Our jaws already dropped at the prayer of this Pharisee like, oh my goodness, he just called him out. And now we're anticipating kind of looking over at the tax collector like, what's going to go on here? Well, let's see what happens with the tax collector. Join with me. Kind of picture it in your head. This is what happens in verse 13. It says this, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. So first off, it's as though the tax collector is kind of approaching God from a distance, almost in reverence for fear or respect. It continues on, it says, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I don't know that you. I'm looking around like, oh, that's it? That's that, Amen? If we were in a prayer circle, be like, is it over? Super simple, right? And you need to understand that this is not a beating of his chest like as in, hey, look at me, look at, look at who I am. No, this is like he's gripping at his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me. He's asking God for one thing. His focus in this short and simple prayer is one thing, and it is mercy. Not just any mercy, though. This is God's mercy. I love what Daryl Bach said. He said, he comes to God desiring only to improve his relationship with God. He asks for mercy. So the Greek word for mercy is heloskomai. Can you say that? Let's try it one more time. Holoskim. Oh, I, I enter. All right. Holos, go. Ah, there we go. Y'all are all Greek scholars, and you can tell Clay next week, and you can thank the student pastor um, for helping you out with your Greek. But holoskimai means this, right? It means to render oneself to appease or to not be angry towards, like to conciliate, to not be angry towards. Um, so what is it that the, that the tax collector in this moment is focusing on? What is he really asking God for? By asking for mercy, he's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for reconciliation to be made right. He's asking for freedom from his guilt and his shame. And he's acknowledging what we sang just moments ago. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is abundantly more. More than we can even fathom. Um, I remember years ago, I was sitting down with one of my mentors. I'm going to call him Roger for the sake of this story. But I was, I was sitting down with him. And he looks over at me and he goes, Matthew, don't call me that, by the way, unless you're my mom or my grandparents. Thank you. Um, you call me Matt. It's just weird. Then it's like it puts you at a level. It's like, okay, it's weirder for me than it is for you. Um, but he goes, Matthew, is there such a thing as a simple Christian? Like that was his question to me. And I remember in my young theological zeal, I looked at, at him and I said, 
no. And then I began to list off all of the knowledge that someone needs to have and all of the things that someone must do in order to be considered an authentic Christian. And I love Roger because Roger does what every great mentor does in this moment. He listened right before he slapped me with truth. He counters my list, right, of knowledge and things that you should do in order to be an authentic Christian. He counters all of that with the story of a man that he was close to. A man who wasn't knowledgeable as my list, but a man whose life was centered on loving God and loving others because Christ loved him. You know, years down the road, I really wish that I could go back to that moment and be like, what did you just say? Like, listen to yourself. What you, need me, what you need to hear from me is this, right? I do believe that knowledge comes with your relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, 100%. If you believe that Jesus came and died on your behalf, you need to ask yourself, why would he do that? Why would he save a person like me? Like, that's going to lead towards knowledge. But the truth is this. Knowledge is useless unless it's lived out. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love verse 40. Check it out. On these two, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets, the Pharisee, all of his knowledge rests on the law and the prophets. All of the knowledge, every commandment, all 600 laws in the Old Testament, every single one rests on two. You can have all of the knowledge that you can gain from Scripture, and you can be really awful at these two commandments. Do you love God and do you love others? So in one corner of this story, right, you have the Pharisee, and you see his pride. In the other corner, you have the tax collector, and you see his humility. I love the way that Jesus kind of rounds this parable out. It says this, I tell you this in verse 14, I tell you, this tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Out of the two in the story, the one who is despised, the one who is rejected by his own people, the one that should be rejected is made right with the, excuse me, with the creator of the entire universe. If you're a Pharisee listening to this story, you are sitting there like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? You have lost your mind. This guy is far gone. I love the way that Paul puts it right. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, made a way through Christ. See, Luke doesn't stop there, right? He, he gives this parable, and I love Luke. He's very um, intentional with how he writes. He gives this parable, and then he gives an event that's kind of strange at first. But if you understand the truth of this parable— he expounds on it even more in this event that happens. Check out what happens in Luke 18, 15 through 17. It says this. 
Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for, such, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus rebukes his disciples because his disciples are like, No, that's a waste of time. Don't be bringing them over to Jesus. He's got other things to do. And Jesus is like, No, 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 nope, nope, you're missing it. You're missing it. Luke adds this to help us see the truth of the parable. Look, in order to have this kind of justified humility that we see in this tax collector, in order to have this kind of justified humility, we must have a childlike faith. And what I really need you to see is I said childlike faith, not childish faith. There's two separate things. And if you have kids, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. When the innocence of their childlikeness versus their childishness Look, childlike is humility. Childish is pride. Childlike is open to correction. Childness is hardened to truth. Childlike depends on the Father. Childish depends on itself. Childlike faith wakes up each day fully dependent on the one who is greater than themselves. I love how one commentator said it. He said, for they bring nothing but themselves to the feet of Jesus. I think of my own uh, children when I think of this uh, scenario that we have going on. Listen, I don't have, like, my oldest son, he doesn't wake up in a panic in the middle of the night. Like, he doesn't shoot up out of his bed going, Ah, I gotta pay the electric bill. Like, that's the last thing on his mind. What's on his mind is, let me go out in the yard and catch a toad and then freak my sisters out with it. That's what's on his mind. My, my daughter, she doesn't walk over to the cabinet and say, up, looks like we're out of Pop-Tarts, Father. Allow me to run to the store and grab some more. She doesn't do that. No, they're magically there. And then when they're gone, guess what? They magically reappear. My kids don't walk over to their dressers and open them up, looking in, being like, I hope I have clothes today. Only one pair of underwear can go so far. <laughs> they don't do that. No, they open it and their clothes are there most of the time, unless we forgot to do laundry. Um, but but it's, it's taken care of. Now listen, I get it. Now, there might be some in here who may not have had that experience with their parents. But this is why we think it's so important to point you towards our Heavenly Father, the same one that says in Matthew 6, Verse 30 says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is true for anyone who seeks God's kingdom first. Now, because my kids are a part of my family and we have magic Pop-Tarts in our house, <laughs> because they are a part of my family and they are mine and I love them, my kids do have chores like, they do have chores. They're going to help out. They're going to participate in what it is that we're doing together, right? I do expect them to listen. I do expect them to listen. I do expect them, because at the end of the day, right, it could go super south, but at the end of the day, who do we have each other? So I expect them to get along. But the same is true for those who have childlike faith. God expects nothing from you, nothing, zero. 
Why? Because Scripture tells us that even our best that we can give God is like filthy rags. Those who have childlike faith realize that because he gave everything for you, you belong to him. Those who have childlike faith realize that because you belong to him, you want to participate in what it is that he is doing. So how do you know if you have this childlike faith? How do you know? It's three ways. And I'm a great Baptist. I put it all with the same letter starting off. You should be proud. It's super easy to remember, but let's start off with the first one. The first one's difficult. The first one's repent. How do you know if you have this childlike faith? You repent. We saw that last week. Clay made everybody stand up, and you awkwardly stared at the back of someone's head. And then he said, turn around. And then you stared awkwardly at the back of someone else's head. My wife said that she still has that one head still in her brain. Um, I don't know about you, but it was a great imagery, right? You look in one direction, and then you turn around, and you're looking at something completely new. You're looking at your own righteousness and your works and how it constantly leads you to emptiness, right? And then you say, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. And you turn and you begin to look this way and you see how his righteousness is more than yours could ever be. And how as you face this direction, it is hard at times, but the joy that you have in him and the hope that you have in him is constantly carrying you through. So the first way that you know you have this childlike faith, repent. The second way is this, rejoice. When you pray, it's kind of like the Pharisee, but not really. It's a psalm of praise, right? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But maybe it needs to sound something like this, counter to the Pharisee. Maybe it needs to be like, thank you, God, that I am yours and not my own. Thank you, God, that you saw value enough in me to die on my behalf so that I can be a part of this family. So how do you know if you have this childlike faith? You repent, you rejoice, and the last one is the hardest. You repeat. Repentance isn't a one-time thing, right? That's, you got to wake up. I don't know about you. There's something I mess up on every single day. Every single day. Repent, rejoice, repeat every day. Repent, rejoice, repeat. Repent, rejoice, repeat. I love our leaders here at Alice Drive because I believe that they do, uh, like our volunteer leaders, I believe that they do reflect this very well. Uh, we have one volunteer leader that works in our student ministry. His name is Dustin Hilliard. And Dustin what I love about Dustin is Dustin shows up ready to go on Sundays. Dustin's been with his group since middle school. Like they're in high school. I believe that they graduate next year. Right, Dustin? Yeah. They graduate next year, which is also, I only got y'all for one more year. I'm a little sad now. Um, but he's been with them for so long. But what I love is, is he comes every single Sunday. He comes on Wednesdays as much as he can. He, he will go to event after event. He, uh, he even took a like, week off from camp or a week off from work to go to camp. Like Some of you are thinking he's crazy. He is. Um, he even invites students over to his house, like his life group students, over to his house to do life with him and his family. I believe that Dustin does this because he is 
He is here because Christ loved him, and because of this, he wants these students to love Christ and to make him known. Dustin's not worried about his own self and the way that he looks in front of these kids. No, he came back from camp saying, Matt, I have a next step to take, and I need your help. I believe that, Dustin, you get a glimpse of what it means to repent, rejoice, repeat. If you have a student, a kid, that's our volunteer leaders. Why wouldn't you want them to be a part of that? I know that I myself need to be reminded every day, repent, rejoice, repeat. Hello. We're somewhere in this story. Listen, some of us have been following Jesus for a while now, but we've lost sight. If we're honest, we've lost sight of what it means to repent, rejoice, repeat. Like we've lost sight of it. There's maybe somebody in here Some of you are searching for more and you constantly are led to emptiness because you're trying to live by your own standard. And every time that that standard fails, what do you do? You set a new standard. And when that standard fails, you set another standard and then it becomes just strictly impossible where you kind of give up. But God's standing there, arms wide open, saying, come all who are weary. So out of this parable, right, of these two in the story, who do you want as a friend? Which of these two in this story are a friend of God? All we have to bring to the table is our complete dependence on God. That's it. So what's stopping you? Will you humble yourself today? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for being able to be here today. God, I pray for those that are in this room. Maybe they've lost sight of what it means to repent, rejoice, and repeat. God, maybe they needed to see the humility of this tax collector, the one who doesn't deserve mercy. Seek mercy, God, and you give it to him. God, let us thank you that we are yours and not our own. God, I pray if there is someone in here Um, this morning that needs to take the first step and turn towards you, God, that you will give them courage to do so. God, we thank you so much for the hope and the joy that is in Christ that carries us through each and every day. God, it it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.